0: Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I'm your host, Hope Bohannik, and you can find all our past shows and get more information about the podcast at our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can find my contact information there as well. Welcome to 2022. I hope you're getting settled into the new year. I missed you all in January. Thank you for bearing with me while I took the month off from the podcast. I am back now, ready for a new year. I I really needed the time, though, because I had some big changes happening. It's a new year, and I have big life changes to share with you. So you might have noticed that this podcast has a new sponsor. We are now hosted by and sponsored by Compassionate Living. And Compassionate Living is my organization. I'm the executive director. We're a 501c3 nonprofit that was founded about eight years ago with a group of vegan friends in my area of Northern California. And we started it mostly to run donations through our Sonoma County Veg Fest. We started the Sonoma County VegFest back then, and needed a nonprofit to, uh, to take the donations for that event. But just as the VegFest has grown, Compassionate Living has also grown. And it's been my passion project, my weekend work for many years. And I've been feeling for a while now, but I finally am feeling like it's the right time to take the leap, to try to make a go of it, to build it into a viable, effective animal advocacy organization. So I have resigned from United Poultry Concerns after almost a decade with them. And I was honored to be with UPC for these years. I've learned a lot. I was able to have a national platform for advocacy. So I will be forever grateful to Karen Davis and UPC for these past years. But it is time to spread my wings, spread my own wings, head up my own organization. And I'm just, I'm so excited to focus on my own passions, my own activism So it's a big life transition for me. It's uh, scary and exciting. And well, I've been doing this work now for over 30 years and I I feel ready. I feel ready for this challenge and ready for this leap. So my vision for Compassionate Living is an online focus for vegan education because, well, that's where everybody is now. That's where all the kids are. So, And I'm going to get some help with that. And I also have special projects, one of which is the Humane Hoax Project. So I've been doing this project for a couple years now. It's uh, co-organized by The Triangle Chicken Advocates, Justin Van Cleek of the Micro Sanctuary Movement. It's kind of Justin and I's passion project, and we are excited to expand it as we have now compassionate living in my full-time focus. The subject of The Humane Hoax is very near to me, very near and dear to my heart, of course, because I wrote the first book on the subject of The Humane Myth, The Humane Hoax, uh, many years ago. And I feel that this is such a vital issue and area to focus on and not many other groups are talking about it. But but that is changing. I'm seeing more articles on humane washing and green washing, which is good, but there's just so many aspects to this issue, and we're going to dig into them on this podcast more. I feel like I didn't talk about the humane hoax enough last year, so we're going to do more of that this year, starting today with our guest, actually, filmmaker Alison Argo is joining us today. Her film, her latest film, The Last Pig, focuses on a pasture-raised pig farmer, who had a change of heart, an ethical awakening, and stopped killing pigs. So one of Compassionate Living's events is coming up at the end of the month. It's our Humane Hoax online conference, co-sponsored with Justin Van Cleek and the Triangle Chicken Advocates, the Sanctuary Movement. And, uh, you know, I've had Justin on the podcast a couple of times, and we are co-hosting this online conference. It's Saturday, February 26th. So coming up at the end of this month, and our guest today, Allison Argo, is one of our five presenters. So if you join us at the conference, you'll get to hear even more from her. We have uh, five speakers exploring all aspects of the Humane Hoax for that conference. And if you are listening to the podcast after that date of February 26th, 6th, we do have all the videos on Compassionate Living's YouTube page of all the speakers and the presentations. So I would love to give just a little 101 on the Humane Hoax and what it is. I have talked about it on the podcast in the past, but uh, but just as kind of a general overview, in in my mind, it breaks down into two kind of global areas, and then there's numerous sub- areas but those two global areas are humane washing and green washing and of course humane washing the main thing we think of is the humane labeling all those labels that we see everywhere now the grass-fed and cage-free and free-range the idea that the processes and procedures have changed somehow. We often think of the size of the operation being smaller, the confinement areas being bigger. Something is improved over just standard farming. And of course, (laughs) it's called the humane hoax for a reason. Uh, Often there are no improvements. If there are improvements, they are incredibly minimal. And in some cases, it can be even worse for the animals with these labels and under this humane hoax umbrella. So another aspect of the humane washing is uh, backyard chicken keeping, the backyard egg craze, keeping chickens for their eggs, and the rooster dilemma that comes with that. And we've talked about that on the podcast. Another aspect of this is do-it-yourself slaughter, DIY slaughter of animals, chickens mostly, but also rabbits and goats and numerous other unwilling victims. And also within the humane washing, there's different species of animals than the usual four, chickens, turkeys, cows and pigs. So things like goat dairy or buffalo meat, these other species products give the false impression of a more humane experience for the animals. And I I don't know why. Uh, Well, I kind of do know why people think that because they're not the top four and the big industrial four, that it's some kind of a smaller, more humane operation, Uh, which is just, you know, not the case. The procedures are the same. Generally, the standards are the same, generally. So anyway, yet another aspect is that other species thing. And, you know, it's not only limited to small scale, either. Big companies like Butterball and Tyson are using these deceiving labels so we're going to dig into all of this going forward through the year. And the other global area of the humane hoax is greenwashing. And this is a more common term that we hear and can be applied to many products and situations. But under the humane hoax, we're specifically talking about greenwashing animal products and animal agriculture and Lots of labels give the appearance of sustainability, including the label sustainable, and others like free range and grass fed, which they actually have very little or nothing to do with a more ecological product or making the product more ecological. And some of these labels, again, it can be even worse. We've learned and I have uh, uncovered that Grass-fed beef can be even worse. This label grass-fed, the product can produce even more greenhouse gases and the the cows are drinking even more water, things like that. So a lot to dig into. There's also regenerative grazing. The regenerative grazing, even though grazing ruminant animals has been the most detrimental practice in all all of agriculture around the world causing so much damage, biodiversity loss and habitat destruction and water pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. But people just don't want to give up their bad habits. So ranchers are now saying that they can do it differently and not cause as much detrimental damage. But the reality is that Nothing compares to rewilding the land, letting the land restore, reforest, rewild, letting all those acres go back to carbon sequestering green spaces is by far the best use of the land. So anyway, again, so much to go into, but that gives you just a little bit of a 101 on the humane hoax. So another reason why I needed a bit of time in the month of January is because I just submitted my manuscript for a humane hoax anthology to Lantern Publishing and Media. It has 18 authors contributing, authors, activists, academics, all contributing chapters. I wrote the intro and conclusion and a chapter myself, and I helped to edit many of the chapters. And it it won't be coming out for a while, uh, probably about a year, so spring of 2023, which feels like a lifetime from now, but that's how these things go with publishing a book. But uh, I'm sure it'll go by quickly. Time seems to pass so much faster for me now than when I was younger. Anyway, this volume is going to really dig deep into the issue of the humane hoax and look at it from... All angles, surprising angles, enlightening angles, and I'm so excited for it. So very exciting stuff happening in my life with my work, and I'm so excited to share it with all of you. I'd love it if you go to our website and check out Compassionate Living, and our website's compassionate-living.org. And maybe make a donation, sign up to be a monthly donor. I'm going to have to learn to ask for donations now that I'm venturing out on my own here. So I need to get more used to that. Uh, So lots has changed for me. You might be asking, though, if anything will change for you, the listener, my faithful, engaged podcast listeners. Well, no, nothing really. I'm still committed to this podcast and creating awesome content, bringing you great guests and interviews. I already have some awesome guests lined up for this year. uh, And so all of that will stay the same. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you would like to hear more of. Let me know. So after doing almost 60 episodes, 49 regular episodes and 10 bonus episodes with the Reason for Vegan series, I have a better sense of how much time the podcast takes me. And of course, I, I do everything myself, everything from inviting the guests and the interviews all the way through audio editing and promotion. So uh, so it's, it's all me. And... Balancing that with all that I want to do with Compassionate Living now, um, I, I haven't set a schedule up to this point. I've been kind of just winging it with these last 60 episodes, just kind of getting an episode out whenever it's finished. But I feel like now I can set a schedule so you will know when I'm posting a new episode. They say that it's good to have a consistency and a schedule, so I'm going to do that going into 2022, and I will be posting an episode every 1st and 15th of the month. So two a month, I feel like that's manageable for me at this point. So moving into full, full time with my organization, Compassionate Living, I think that is the schedule I'm going to be able to uh, keep consistent. So I'll be posting new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. So before we jump into the conversation with Allison, and we're gonna do that soon, I want to mention that February is Black History Month, and the Afro Vegan Society is promoting Veguary, so February, Veguary, this month, And they're calling this campaign a celebration of all things black and vegan. And they're filling the month with activities, uh, cooking demos, and virtual workshops and prizes. So go and check that out. Support them. Share their social media posts about this campaign, the Afro Vegan Society. And I'll put a link to that campaign in the show notes. Okay, so let's get into today's conversation. Okay, so I am so grateful that Allison Argo could join us today. Allison is a filmmaker whose films have won over 100 awards internationally. She's known for her emotionally charged and deeply personal films, in particular, her intimate portrayals of abused and endangered animals. And the nearly two dozen films that she's produced and directed and written have been broadcasted by PBS uh, and or National Geographic and have reached audiences worldwide. Her most recent film, The Last Pig, premiered on PBS uh, last year in 2021, and it, that was after appearing in 42 film festivals, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and it's going to be available soon for streaming internationally. And she's also working on another film, a new film that's still in production, called The New Farm, and it continues Allison's mission to provide a voice for those who are not heard and to deepen understanding and respect for all beings. So welcome to the podcast, Allison.
1: Thank you, Hope. I'm glad to be here.
0: It's wonderful to have you, and I would love to start us off by hearing about your uh, your journey to veganism and animal advocacy. What is your vegan journey? When and why did you go vegan? Uh, why don't you tell us about a little about that uh, process?
1: Well, I, I see my journey as a, a definite progression. It wasn't that one day. I know people suddenly wake up where they have an experience and one day bang they're vegan but I had stopped eating meat um decades ago Mm. and you know basically I, I can't make the films that I make that are that are speaking out for animals and then eat animals it's it's just too much of a contradiction but it took me a while and I'm really surprised it took me as long as it did to really understand what dairy cows go through And also the whole phenomenon with with chickens and and baby chicks, male chicks. And when I finally opened my eyes to that information, it was just such a sudden no-brainer. And it actually happened while I was making The Last Pig. Bob Comis, the farmer, and I were sitting out um, on his farm, and we were just discussing uh, dairy and eggs and I just realized, okay, I know too much, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I mean, there was no turning back and it was so easy. It's so easy these days to to cut things out of your diet because there are so many alternatives. And honestly, health-wise, I feel so much better. It was just so easy.
0: Mm, great.
1: And I, I you know what, the other thing is I feel like I'm being more true to myself and who I am in my core. I feel like my life is more aligned with my beliefs. And that's also a good emotional feeling as well as as feeling better physically. I think I I just feel a little bit more at peace with myself emotionally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to hear about what got you into filmmaking? Uh, Filmmakers are really the storytellers of our modern tribes, and Mm. I am always in awe of them. So what inspired you to get into filmmaking?
1: Well, in one word, it was gorillas. I I had uh, gone into the theater and, and I guess, television as well. Acting, I I was raised in in a small theater on Cape Cod and a little summer stock theater. And I went into acting, which was sort of the way I was raised. And in the 80s, I guess, I started becoming aware of gorillas because Diane Fossey was out doing her work in the field. And mm. I was fascinated by these beautiful. We were learning that they're these gentle giants. I mean, they're vegetarians. Yeah. They're they're just a, a, a beautiful, magnificent, peaceful animal. And then I started looking around me and became aware of those gorillas that were living in captivity and became really, really concerned about their welfare and what kind of conditions they were living under, I became aware of a gorilla named Ivan, who was living in a shopping mall, a really nasty, tacky little shopping mall in Tacoma, Washington. And he had been bought from the wild, brought in as an infant, and lived alone for almost 30 years, in basically a concrete box in a shopping mall. He also had like a little circus trailer. And it was the most heartbreaking thing, and that's what propelled me to jump behind the camera. I knew nothing; I did not know how to make films. Although I had, I had been acting for long enough that I think I, I understood sort of intrinsically how to tell a story, uh-huh. and also I had, I had just osmosed from being on television sets a little bit about making films. Basically, I just was a person with a huge amount of passion and I wanted to speak out for gorillas like Ivan who were just trapped in, in this situation because people just didn't know. That's the thing is as a filmmaker, that's that to me is my mission is to get the information out there so that people are informed so that they can make informed choices. So that film took me almost 4 years to make i learned while i was making it you know made it with no money and no knowledge but i learned you know in, during the process and national geographic caught wind of it and asked to see it when i was just about done and they loved it i was i was lucky that i think i my film which was very different than films that were being made i think it it hit at a time when People were looking for different. They were looking for something new. And so it was really embraced. They they aired it. And the coolest thing is that after it aired, it it sort of ignited this flame that had been a little spark had been, you know, smoldering. Effort to get Ivan out of this shopping mall, and it it just exploded into this global effort. And Mm -hmm. we had a a nonprofit with Geographic and TBS. We created a nonprofit that was the Gorilla Relocation Fund. And we raised enough money to move Ivan once the store went bankrupt, and he was moved to uh, Zoo Atlanta, where it wasn't the wild, but it was a very natural environment, and he was able to be with other gorillas and walk out on the grass under the sun for the first time in, in three decades. So wow. Wow. obviously I was just struck by the power of, of film, and that was it. There was no turning back. I wanted to keep, keep bringing more stories to the public so, mm. that, so that we could do right by non-human animals.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. What was the name of that film?
1: It was called The Urban Gorilla.
0: Oh, great name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a beautiful story. I I love that you started with acting. Many people don't know this about me, but I was very into acting in high school and college. And that's actually I got a full scholarship to college for theater. Wow. Um, Yeah. That's what I went to college for. Uh, But I, I quickly learned that if I was going to actually make it, I mean, I was so, I was so in love with theater, but I realized that I was going to have to do things. I didn't, I didn't agree with, you know, that I was going to have to play roles or take roles that just didn't align with what I wanted to do. Like that I would have to to be able to get to a place where I could do, be the voice I wanted to be, I would probably have to do things I didn't want to do. And activism just took over my life in college, too. So, I, you know, I just got very, very into activism. So I s- switched and shifted away from theater, but I always appreciate when someone finds a way to. Uh, being drawn to um, an artistic medium and finds a way to embrace activism or or bring activism into it, bring a way to uh, to change lives. And so right. I, I really appreciate that you found a way to do that. That's great. it's kind of
1: magical in yeah. a way when you. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I speak to younger people. I I just remember being oh I think maybe 19 or 20 years old and feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders. I need to know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And it's just a terrible burden that uh, I think it was self-inflicted, but I, I think those around us sort of say, well, what are you going to be? What are you going to do? And yeah, it took me a while to, you know, I had to go down the acting path and that ultimately was not fulfilling. And then I was able to take those skills and apply them to you know, my beliefs and my passion and and activism. And so it's, it's really a magical alchemy, isn't it? Mm, I can, I can tell that you have, you have a a thespian background because your your voice is wonderful. And
0: thank um, you. Yeah. Well, I would love to talk about your film, The Last Pig, because this is your most recent film. Yeah. It is really beautiful, and and I'd love to hear about you know your process and making it. I, I was able to watch the film recently, and it's it is very different than your usual documentary. It's not like talking heads and information and a lot of information being given to you. It's not like that at all. Uh, the only person we hear from is the farmer, mm-hmm. Bob, Bob Comus, and uh, and he is narrating the story and. And we're out with the pigs. I mean, what I loved about it was that we ne- I never saw where Bob lived. We never saw his house at all. We we're mm-hmm. only in the field with the pigs. And I loved that. There's a lot of contrasting emotion too. I felt a lot of peace and you know peaceful feelings, lingering, lovely feelings mm-hmm. when you're with the pigs, those long shots of them napping together, cuddled up together. I loved that. Uh, but then, of course, even though he is a rare farmer trying to give the best life possible to these pigs, there's still parts that were very hard to watch. You get that pit in your stomach of foreboding. So a lot of emotion in this film. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so,
1: so tell us about yeah. The Last Pig. Well, as I've evolved, and as I said, it has been an evolution you know it's 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 fairly easy to identify with gorillas or even chimpanzees because they are so like us but i think it's it's more challenging to inspire people to care about pigs and chickens and other animals that are less like us and and that society has told us from the day we hit the ground you know hit the earth that oh these are just here for us to use and consume yeah and so to live your life in a way contrary to what we've been raised to believe is, is it's a challenge. It's, it takes effort and consciousness. So I've wanted to more and more and more wanted to speak out for animals that are caught in the farming industry. And I don't care whether it's big, big ag or, or small, you know, kinder ag, like, like Bob's farm was, they're still trapped and they're still going to be killed when they're babies. They're not allowed to live their full lives. And I wanted to find a story that I felt could reach a broad audience. I mean, I'm very appreciative of all the undercover films and filming that's gone on. And, and I think they serve a huge, really important purpose, but I think we also need programs that people who are going to tune out to that or simply just don't have the constitution to watch that, that they will watch something that is not going to have that those graphic images, but will still make them think and change and grow. And so when I heard about Bob Comus, that he was a real thinking, feeling farmer who was, who was starting to question what he was doing by, by farming and slaughtering pigs, Uh, I thought, Oh, my God, this would be amazing, an amazing story to tell. So I approached him. And he reluctantly, at first, said yes. I mean, I basically met him and brought the cameraman who I thought would be really wonderful up to meet him. We, We drove up to his farm and sat out and talked for a long time. And we realized that we were all definitely on the same page. And he said yes. I'm willing to let you, you film my story. And we started right away. We jumped in. So there was no funding. Both the, the cameraman and I, uh, his name is Joe Brunette, and just did a beautiful job. And he did it all on spec, as did I. Now, again, there was no money, but um, we both felt that this Bob's story needed to be told. So we just started filming right away. And we would go up to Bob's farm which is about four hours away from each of us. And we would film for one week every month for nine months. So it was a, an incredibly immersive. And I think that's maybe the word you were looking for about the film. It's very experiential and immersive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's partly because of the way that we, we filmed it in a very, very immersive and long reaching sort of far reaching way in that, we started when Bob was having these thoughts of, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't believe in what I'm doing. It's not who I am. To finally taking the last group of pigs to the slaughterhouse, which I died a bit during the process. It's interesting because Bob Bob did give his, his pigs extraordinary lives. I've had people who work at sanctuaries or run sanctuaries who've seen the film that say, we can't even give our pigs that that good a life but what does it mean ultimately if at 6 months old you load them into a truck and and take them to the slaughterhouse they were brought onto the kill floor and killed and i witnessed that and i can only say that i think you one will never be the same after witnessing life being taken needlessly from a another being that is happy and full of love and life. And that made it even more criminal to me is pigs are so, oh, they love, they seem to just revel in everything about life. They love to smell and taste things and root around with their noses and and run around and feel the earth and and then to suddenly snuff that out while they're still babies is, it's just, I think, criminal for me. Mm, and yeah. so that was really life-changing. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Bob did get out of pig farming at the end of the film. He has stopped, but it was really brutal. Making the film was both joyous to spend the time with those pigs because, as you said, they are such such joyous animals. And and you you mentioned them napping together. I mean, the pig pile really exists. They're so (laughs) social that when they nap, they're all cuddled together and and every pig is touching another pig. And sometimes when I have trouble falling asleep at night, I try to picture myself in a pig pile. with. I love it. (laughs) are so peaceful and, and so just relaxed and wonderful. So you know, there were joyous times. And then the slaughterhouse was probably the worst thing I have ever experienced in my life. And you can't help but feel complicit in some way. Even documenting it,
0: right? You mean?
1: Yeah, Yeah. I couldn't have stopped it. But I was there. And all I can do is when when I watch the footage is just say, I, uh, you know, I hope that these pigs did not die in vain. And at least we were able to capture their stories so that, so that other people will say, I don't, I don't want to eat pigs anymore. And I do get emails every week from someone who said, boy, I was on the fence and I saw the film and now I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat. Some people say Mm. pork or some people say pig. Mm. uh, And some people say any kind of meat. That's uh, great. I know that it's having an impact the, the big challenge is to get the film out to the biggest possible audience. And that, that's been really the, the biggest challenge.
0: I wanted to go back to an interesting thing you said. You were talking about the undercover investigations mm-hmm. that we see so much. And there's so many now, hundreds, I would say, of undercover investigations that have happened now over the last you know decades that expose these horrors in actually in the industrial farming and, and slaughterhouses. And I think people can just say. Oh well, that's just like when they say it. What they'll the excuse they often will use is, well, that's just a bad apple, or that's just one place that's doing a bad thing. And often the the company themselves will say, oh well, we we completely can you know condemn this uh, (laughs) these workers or this procedure, whatever it is. They put it off on an individual or put it off on an isolated incident you know, so they say it's not the norm, but I love what you've done here is shown that even in the best circumstance, Mm -hmm. you know, even in the best circumstance, we are still killing these pigs at such an early age for no reason. And they want to live. Like you said, you see their exuberance for life, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and this, this gets us into the issue of the humane hoax, Because this is a humane farm, Uh, I'm sure that you know Bob could have labeled his meat. Well, anybody can label their meat humane. Actually, there's no regulation on it. Um, But uh, but I'm sure that he used humane labeling in some in some way. And uh, and it just shows how you know it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so I really really uh,
1: love that you did that with this film. Yeah, well, it. I mean, it's the perfect film. To get the message across, death is death. It, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Ultimately, I mean, yeah. yes, they had a good, you know, six months tops. Yeah, but ultimately, and and the betrayal is it, that was really really difficult to see. You know, it was a quote unquote humane slaughterhouse, but but still, they willingly, you know, they trusted Bob and they yeah. walked into the yeah. slaughterhouse. Yeah. And,
0: Well, that's that. And that's why I called my book, The Ultimate Betrayal. That was about Mm -hmm. the Humane Hoax. And you're going to be presenting at our upcoming uh, Humane Hoax online conference on February 26. How do you feel about the Humane Hoax? Let's, let's talk a little more about that. What has been your experience with that? And why do you feel it's important to address it?
1: Well, the bottom line is we don't need to eat meat or drink cow's milk or eat eggs. I mean, it, it's been, it has been proven in so many different ways, scientifically, by personal experience. We don't need that. So I think the first thing is people need to acknowledge that the only reason that they're consuming these animal products is because of habit or to tickle their palate or, and and, and I think people need to own that. I think we know too much now not to own that. So I'm glad that we're getting to that point. And a, a little piece of me dies when I see friends buying cage-free eggs and they, and they feel like they're really doing something good. It's just so hard to argue with friends, but I try to in my little way say, you know, it's, it's, it's not humane. There's nothing humane about using animals for food. Nothing. Yeah. And there are male chickens, that chicks that are born. Where do those male chicks go? Even if it's a cage-free situation, where do the male chicks go? And so I, I do feel like that they're pulling a veil over our eyes and you know, it's marketing. It's marketing yeah. and it's big lobbying. It's, it's lobbyists. And what really angers me personally is the food pyramid that I grew up with. I feel so angry about that. I feel like I was deceived into a really unhealthy diet just to support big agriculture hmm. and the lobbyists yeah. and, oh, to throw people, the health of people under the us like that, I just think is, is, is unconscionable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, going back to the film, it's something that you said earlier about the happy pigs, the pigs being happy, you know, mm-hmm. and exuberant and joyful. And it is interesting to me that what a lot of this humane hoax is, is really we are admitting that animals have these emotional capacities, have these rich, complex emotions, you know? And so we want to give them the best life possible, like Bob tried to do, uh, which is very, very rare. I mean, you know, we, I yes. think it needs to be acknowledged that this kind of pasture raising of pigs is, is so rare. It's not the norm in any kind of way. It's a small, tiny, tiny percentage of even everything that's labeled family farm or free range and all that, usually that is very close to just close or the, sim- the same as standard procedures
1: uh, mm. and
0: standard farms. But looking at this this one situation where these pigs were very happy. I mean, you saw it in the film. They were very happy. They were able to go out in the forest and Mm -hmm. rummage around and root around. And, uh, you know, they had, they were wallowing in the mud and and they were just, they were, they were full of life. And like you said, in just six months to Mm -hmm. take that life from a happy animal, they're happy. Well, it's how can and and then they call it happy meat. It's such a contradiction, such an awful, awful betrayal and violation to not let these animals live a full,
1: happy life, and to see them as meat is is just the most demeaning disregard. Yeah, but uh, Bob is is was used to write some some blogs and. That's how I first heard about him. Hmm. His friend sent me a link to one of his essays, and it was called "Happy Pigs Make Happy Meat?" question mark And by the time I had finished reading that short article, I was in tears, and that's what really made me decide to reach out to him and and to tell his story or to bring his story. I didn't tell it. I just I was the I was the conduit between him and the audience. But he also says there's a scene in the film that I find incredibly poignant where the pigs are out in the woods where they really were happiest. It was fall. He says... You know, the pigs love the fall because it's nice and cool and, and you can just they're just running around and picking up sticks and throwing them in the air. I mean, they're so mm-hmm. joyous. Yeah. And, and you hear Bob say, because he's just musing, he says, you know, this this concept that happy pigs make happy meat is so disturbing to me. It does not absolve any kind of guilt that I have for taking yeah. those pigs to the slaughterhouse. So yeah. I think, I think, yeah. He, and I,
0: uh, I remember that quote. And I think he said something like I'm haunted by the
1: ghosts yeah. of these happy pigs. Bingo. That's exactly what he yeah, said, which is amazing. just such an amazing statement to make. And he is, he is still to this day haunted. When we went back to the farm, I went back a year later and he hadn't returned to the area. One of the main area where all the pigs were, it was all overgrown because he just couldn't even bear to go up there. So he he will be forever haunted. Oh, you know, I was going to say one other thing that I was reading about recently. Yeah. I I was reading and it was, I, I think, a local humane shelter. I, I can't remember in the Midwest. But the article was saying that I think during COVID and also, you know, for, for financial reasons, a lot of people have started... More and more people have, have started backyard farming. Yeah. Like, hey, amazing. I can grow my mm-hmm. own animals. I yeah. can, you know, and more and more animals are needing to be rescued because people don't have the skills. They don't even know about animal husbandry. So they're starving these animals. They're living in squalid conditions. It's um, it's just a really sad situation. Yeah. And so a lot of rescues then get called by the Animal control, I guess, comes in and shuts these places down. And then uh, the refuges and sanctuaries and rescues have to try to deal with these incredibly ill animals that need veterinary care. And so I just think that's a really interesting sidebar
0: yeah it is it's it's definitely part of the humane hoax because a lot of uh people that do this the backyard do it yourself raise uh hens for eggs or or even slaughtering animals for meat. a lot of people go into it thinking, well, I'm gonna you know get out of this horrible industrial system and and do it myself, do it humanely. Uh, but you're right. They don't know what they're getting into. And a lot of these animals get sick or injured. And then, you know, vet care is so expensive and yeah, they end up in horrible situations. Yeah. It's really sad. Well, Allison, I would love to just shift a little and talk about your new project, the new film that you're working on. And this is really a fascinating subject I think, and it's about farmed animal sanctuaries and what's being called animal-centered design, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. And
0: yeah, and it's this this new thing that's kind of around, uh, because farm sanctuaries often look like farms, like working farms. And there's a kind of a movement to try to make the the places that we are rescuing and keeping and loving animals at farm animal sanctuaries to make it more friendly to animals because farms aren't necessarily made for animals. They're made to-
1: Well, for uh, human convenience, really. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So mm-hmm. trying to make it more animal centered. So talk about this. This is fascinating.
1: Well, I had never heard of it until I was actually down in North Carolina, in Durham, North Carolina at a screening of the last pig that had been organized by the local vegan community. And afterwards, this lovely young couple came up to me and started telling me about their refuge, the Piedmont Farm Animal Refuge, and their animal-centered design. So this great couple, Lenore Braford and Paul Drake, have been cre- creating these structures at their refuge based on Paul's designs. He, he's studying architecture. And they look at the individual animals and species and try to understand truly on the, on the deepest level, what makes them tick and what their needs are. Mm-hmm. So for instance, the goat house, they don't even like to call them barns because that sort of smacks of you know, the classic farming. yeah. And so the goat house is vertical as opposed to horizontal because goats are happiest when they're climbing. They like to climb and they feel safest and best when they can be up high. And uh, so, so they built, you know, sort of bunk beds and and this vertical building, whereas sheep are prey animals and flock animals. And they really like to be able to see if there are any predators around and they like to be able to see their, their fellow sheep. And so that space is very open and, and almost kind of a round feeling. Hmm. So it, it's it's a wonderful way of approaching design and architecture. And, and of course, Paul also is totally tuned into green building. So, you know, he harnesses natural heat from the sun and situates buildings in certain ways so that they catch the breeze in the summer, but uh, Mm. remain solar heated during the winter. And it's just really, really so fun. And it, it seemed to me that it would be a new way it it might bring in a new audience to gain an understanding of the fact that each animal is an individual. You yeah, don't just yeah. throw them all into a big barn together. Yeah. They they came from different ancestors. That's another thing that Paul and and Lenore do is they they look at the ancestry of the animals. What did they evolve from? You know, chickens were were, I think, guinea fowl or jungle or fowl that lived Jungle fowl, yeah. So they've planted lots of trees around and give them lots of shade, as opposed to, you know, on old McDonald's farm, it was like the chickens lived in a dirt field, right? Which is very unnatural for them. Yeah, exactly. And the the duck house, duck and goose, geese house is cantilevered over a pond. So they wake up and just jump in the pond. Jump right in. Oh, that's great. So he spends a lot of time observing the animals before he even starts designing to really try to understand who they are and what they need. I have hopes that the film will just be an absolute delight and will be of interest to, you know, people who are interested in architecture, architectural students, but also the the people who are, you know, HGTV fans, because it's, it's just so cool the way he designs these spaces and also children. I think, you know, I, I really intend for this film to be appropriate for kids and that that's my goal is to, is to put this, Really fun film that that promotes understanding and sensitivity towards these other animals. Put this out there so so we it. can reach a, a different audience. yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. i love
0: I love the thought that goes into this really uh, deeply feeling and caring about about these animals about what they need and what's gonna make them uh, most comfortable and the happiest. and mm-hmm. I just I love that.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's wonderful. Well, we really look forward to that.
1: Thank Uh,
0: you. Definitely. I'm just
1: creating the website now. So if people want to follow this story as it unfolds, they can sign up for our newsletter. And just to stay informed um, on on the Last Pig website, I'm sort of broadening the reach out to encompass all things Argo Films. Mm -hmm. So you can follow us there. It's thelastpig.com and it will say contact us and you can sign up for our newsletter so we'll keep you informed and we do not spam <laughs> we, i'm lucky <laughs> okay, if i can okay. get one newsletter out every three months honestly <laughs> but okay you won't get overwhelmed but that's a good way to stay in touch and also through social media of course
0: yeah and i'll, I'll put that link in the show notes for sure okay. and the the film's going to be called the new farm that's the
1: working title, right? Working now. title.
0: Okay. Yeah. And and I and I just want to add a little something about this actually as an afterthought. Farm sanctuaries to do something like this would take a lot of money and resources, of course. Um, I mean, just starting a farm sanctuary, if if you're going to do it as a rural sanctuary with large animals, is going to be a huge cost. And and that's why I think that most farm sanctuaries look like farms is that they are properties that were farms in some way. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just kind of a grandfathered in thing. So this is something that's like, you know, create something new, but of course it would cost a a great deal of money, but there are things that can be done on like a micro sanctuary level. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it doesn't have to be this, these big expensive new buildings or structures just changing the uh, the foliage and the, like you said, planting trees or changing the greenery, the the plant life around can alter the situation for the animals. And that's not as dramatic or expensive. Um, so there's smaller scale ways that you can do animal centered design that doesn't cost as much. I just wanted to add that.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's really important. And for every animal that's living in captivity. And let's face it, any farm animals are living in captivity. Rescued animals are gorillas in captivity. They all need stimulation. I mean, as yeah. natural as it can be, but also it, it gets really tedious in the same little four walls. And so yeah, monotonous. enrichment yeah. is really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, chickens love Uh, to scrounge around and be able to, to hop up to different branches. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just an open grassy Mm -hmm. space is kind of boring for chickens. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, there's
1: a, there's a lot to learn. You can't see me right now, but my I am grinning ear to ear just thinking about chickens because they are, they are some of the most dear, delightful beings. And they have such distinct personalities. Yeah. Um, they're just uh, yeah, just yeah. an absolute delight. They are. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Allison, it's really been wonderful to talk to you. I, I like to ask all my guests in the end of the interview. What gives you hope for the future?
1: Oh, that can be such a tough question in at this moment in time because we're just at such a strange crossroads with with COVID and you know the pandemic yeah. isolating all of us, and our society seems so polarized. I don't just think it seems, I think it is so polarized. Yeah. One thing that gives me hope is that. But there's this, a, a convergence of things, uh, of phenomena that are demanding our attention, and one is climate change. We cannot ignore that anymore. We can't say that that's a hoax. Yeah, <laughs> um, it exists, and it's also becoming more and more accepted and and understood, that acknowledged. I guess I should say that animal agriculture is a, is a big you know perhaps the biggest contributor to climate change and so uh, i think we're going to become more and more and more aware of that i think also people who are who really care about their health are coming out and and speaking up about well wow, i'm i'm a much better athlete now that i've gone plant based and so i think more and more we have the evidence out there and the inspiration out there for people to want to follow those examples that those people are, are setting. And then thirdly, I think our community of people who care about the welfare of animals and the, and the well-being of animals, I think we're growing. And, and so I think these three prongs all coming together at the same time are going to help catalyze our society towards a, a kinder place. I guess that's my hope. I just think I think the timing is working in the favor of non humans and humans together, both of us. That's
0: interesting. That when I ask what gives you hope for the future, that one of your answers was climate change. And, <laughs> and, and but, but you know it's true. Sometimes we need the biggest challenges, the biggest mm-hmm. catastrophes, to inspire change to prompt big shifts and change. And so, yeah, it's true. It can be very hopeful that this <laughs> huge, yeah. horrible, catastrophic thing is happening because that's what's going to prompt action and inspiration. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: ironic, but it, it is true. We, we just can't bear our heads anymore. I mean, the fires are raging and yeah. tornadoes are hitting strange places and... And the icebergs are melting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, but we're doing what we can, and yes. uh, and films like your film are out there to uh, help people to really be inspired and make those changes in their life that are going to be meaningful to the planet and to the animals. So yeah. thank you
1: for thank you for doing the work that you do. Oh, you are so welcome. And I want to add one more thing to it yeah. gives me hope. It's I I think the younger generations. The generations coming up right now are really sensitive and really effective. I think they're strong. I think they're united. I think they may rectify a lot of what our generations have gotten wrong. So (sighs) let's hope the kids give me hope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Allison, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you
1: for having me. It's been so fun to talk to you.
0: Yeah. And one last thing, how can people see The Last Pig?
1: It's Ooh. it's gonna be coming out soon, right? Yes. Um you you can always buy a DVD. We ask for a donation and that those funds help our little, well, the little team, which is basically myself and if I can hire one other person uh-huh. <laughs> But you know, it helps us us continue our outreach and our good work. And you can you can purchase that through the lastpig.com. And also, we are going to make, this is going to be our Valentine's Day gift. We're going to make The Last Pig available through video on demand. I'm just going to go ahead and put it up on Vimeo and there will be a link again on the website. We we weren't able to put it out before it had its run on PBS. It, it still would be airing on PBS for for another couple of years. But oh, oh, cool. Its initial its initial run is now simmering down a little bit. And so now we can go ahead and make it more widely widely available. And right. and interestingly, the film has been really appealing internationally. It's been invited to Japan a number of times hmm. and Korea. It's been at film festivals. It won wow. you know it's won um, awards at a lot of foreign film festivals. So it, it really travels well. It's such a universal story. Yeah. And, and it's really kind of sadly right now it's timeless, but there will come a time where this will be a historic story. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a really cool
0: thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Allison. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's really great to be back with you after a bit of a break. I would love to ask you to please give us a rating or review on your listening app. Uh, It helps so much. And I have to tell you, when I'm feeling unsure of myself around this podcast, all I have to do is read one of the reviews. You all are so kind and seem, and seem to really appreciate the podcast, and that makes it all worth it. Your kind words and the reviews warm my heart, so thank you so much. I'm excited to be back in action, back here with you in podcast land where we can create our own reality, a reality where people care where they care about the planet, about the animals. We are creating our own community here and then bringing all that we learn, all that we're inspired by, out to the real world. And I hope that you're inspired for a new year and new adventures. And please, always, live vegan.